I believe wholeheartedly in manifestation. I believe wholeheartedly in the law of attraction. And I believe that there is this dance spiritually that you have with your higher self. There's always this like line of connection that you can have with a better version of yourself that's always funneling like ideas to you and always giving you guidance. Some people could call that God, Buddha, Allah, whatever you want to call that connection to a higher truth or a higher level of consciousness. It, 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 that's your specific narrative. Welcome to the Offball Podcast. My name is Martin Reeder. I'm a 2012 beach volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and movement leader. This conversation is designed to go deep. We're going to get into it with world-class performers, athletes, and coaches as we look at how we can dive into the process of becoming one's own champion and how we can make an impact in the game when we do not have the ball. So what does that personal preparation look like? What does that personal journey look like? We're going to chat today with my man, Wes Knight. He is an amazing guy, incredible athlete. He's got so much great, great content to share. His journey as a child into becoming a pro soccer player, his journey as a pro soccer player, and then how he transitioned out of sport and what he discovered about himself into his current journey, which is the Creating Space Movement podcast, and his newest and greatest initiative, which is the Social Media University. This guy is fire, great dude. I look up to him so much, and whether you're an athlete or not, there's a lot to be learned from him. So enjoy this episode. Please leave a review or a comment or reach out. This is new. We're just getting started. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the Offball Podcast. My name is Martin Reeder. I will be your host. And more importantly, we got a wicked guest, Wes Knight. Wes is someone that I have been looking up to for a very long time. I would like to say well over a year. Ex-pro athlete, entrepreneur, movement leader, Guy has got a ton of great stuff going on, but most importantly for me, the authenticity level of him and, and his actions is at 150%. He truly cares about helping people out, which, you know, a year and a half ago when I came on, I was like, oh, this guy is on fire, but is it a show? And over time, the consistency of how much you care, how much you're there for people who engage with you and the support that you're showing for them has been off the charts. I'd like to say second to none, my friend. So it is a pleasure to have you on here and uh, let's vibe out, man. Namaste, my friend. Like I, uh, to hear that coming from a, an accomplished individual like yourself, you know, you connected me yesterday to Casey Patterson, who's a, you know, he's basically you in uh, American soil. He's got tighter uh, hair than I do. Oh, great hair, dude. Got I think he's calling hair. the suave hawk. Like, what is that? <laughs> For those of you guys who are listening who don't know, Casey Patterson's like one of the best um, volleyball players in U.S. history. Great, great. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy, great athlete. Um, and, and Martin 
um, just made that connection. And we vibed out yesterday and had a great conversation about entrepreneurship, about the journey, about entitlement in both like young kids as well as pro athletes. Like for you and I who have played sports that aren't in the mainstream media and we're not having access. I'm not sure about you and your career, but like, Oh man, no, we're, we're in the weeds, man. Between yeah. in the weeds, yeah. except for exactly. once every four years at the Olympics. Other than that, we are playing in the rough. Right. And so it, it, there, you know, you talk about what um, that humility provides for you, knowing that you are um, at the top of your, at the top of your game uh, in your respective sport, but you're still not getting the, the uh, so-called feedback that you'd like to receive from that. And feedback can be given in many different ways, whether that be income level or, or quality of life, whatever. So anyways, Martin, um, <laughs> to see what you've been able to take from your sport and be able to immerse that into the next phase of your your life dude i'm just excited to get on the on the show and see what kind of value we can add to well, let's to let's make some moves so the off ball movement for me is something that's that's close to home and just to to briefly describe it we we have the ball arguably one to five percent of the time in sport or or the implement or we're preparing preparing for a race that's 20 seconds or a minute but we're spending so much time focused on building towards that so arguably we have 95 99 of our time off of the ball or implement to then impact the outcome of the game or impact outcome of life. And I think we're so narrowly focused on that ball moment that we're missing Ooh. a ton of stuff. So this is about building the human. This is about human development. This is about virtuous athlete development. This is about taking the journey of sport and creating a bigger context for it. So this conversation I'm so excited about because Wes, you were a pro athlete. You worked your ass off to get to that pro athlete level you lived it and then have transitioned that not without hardship into another pursuit and then it's been a beautiful to see that tail end please let's start off by going a little bit earlier what did the start of your journey look like you're a young kid talk to me about that that 10 year old west knight well you know just the other day my dad came up and he visited um and you know we were recapping a lot of great memories my dad is um, well documented. My the best coach I ever had. My dad was a he's just a phenomenal leader. He, um, you know, is is a super motivating guy, and uh, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so we were kind of recapping what that journey was like. And I, I'm getting to a place in my um, in my age in my developmental years now where I'm starting to figure out that you know I don't have any. Uh, although my dad was a tough coach, I don't have any now. I don't ha hold any grudges to to him as I did in for a little while because I felt like you know he was a little too hard on me. We didn't have a great relationship. He's got a phenomenal relationship with my brother and such, and I you know for a while I was jealous of that. Um, and what what I realized just the other day as he came up to spend some one on one time with me is he came and he dropped this newspaper on my, on my, on my counter. And I just kind of looked over it as we were, you know, getting him settled in and I didn't really think anything about it. And it wasn't until he left um, that I really recognized that he dropped the newspaper in on uh, this run that happens in Charleston every year. It's called the Cooper river bridge run. It's a massive run. Um, probably 60,000 people get out. It's a 10 K um, and they get out and, you know, there's age groups, that they break it into and, and it's a, a full on race and, and the winners most often are Kenyans who come up and the prize money is like 20 grand to, to win the race. And so 
back in 1998, um, I came fourth in the under 12 division. Um, I ran like a 43-minute 10K at like 11 years old, which is pretty pretty quick for an 11-year-old kid. And I was a track and field athlete at that time. I ran the 400 meters, and I got to the National Junior Olympics, and I thought for a long time track and field was going to be my thing. And so we were kind of recapping about, damn, it's been 20 years since that time of our lives where he was my coach and we were one-on-one working with each other and how much track benefited me in soccer and basketball and all the other things that I was playing. So I, you know, to, to step back from that, I, I have always been um, in love with movement. I've always been in love with, um, with, with, you know, the kinesthetic intelligence that it takes for sport. Um, and it always came easy to me. And as an ADHD sufferer, I never was great in school. So I found my release and I found my love in sport. And so I grew up in Little Easley, South Carolina, which is in the middle of nowhere, about 10 minutes outside of Clemson University. And that's about the only reference I can give on a geographical geographic scale because most people have never heard of anywhere in South Carolina other than Charleston. So grew up there. No one comes from there, especially not to play uh, in the MLS, they don't play soccer in South Carolina, right? And um, I played multiple sports. And then it wasn't until I became about a junior in high school where I started to figure out, it's kind of towards the dovetail of my sophomore year in high school where I figured soccer just came to me so much easier than any other sport. Yeah. And I was receiving you know, lots of awards in that area and your confidence begins to grow. And I just started repping with all fell into one sport and I, and I went – tripled down on soccer and went 365 days out of the year and, and, and really put all my energy into that. Now, you know, with the development academies they have now, you know, kids are becoming professionals at 16 years old now because they've gotten their 10,000 hours in, you know, um, super early in their life in their development years. So anyways, I was a, uh, I've had to be a resilient kid my entire life. You know, I, uh, was slept on in college, was a recruited walk-on to the College of Charleston, um, you know, was uh, was one of the only two freshmen to get asked whether or not I wanted to redshirt because they were we had a, a great NCAA quality team, but, you know, they didn't want me to potentially lose out on a year, play a little bit, and not have the opportunity to use that year on the, on the back end. So I ended up redshirting um, and – Continued to play out my career at the College of Charleston, and luckily enough, I you know bounced around playing professional development league in the summers. Got a great opportunity to play with some of the best players in the United States in Florida for a team called IMG, um, and that is where I met a coach who really saw something in me and started to talk to me in a way of, if you do this, then you could become a pro. Mm-hmm. And at that time hearing that word was kind of all I needed because that was someone else who had a high level of acumen and a great resume of developing pro athletes, pro soccer players who was looking at me and telling me that it was possible. So it was no longer me in my mind telling me that I could do it. Now all of a sudden someone was affirming to me and it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy at that time. You, you don't want to let someone down that believes you in, in you in that way. Absolutely. And it ignites you. It takes you to another level because it's like this expectation that now you want to live into Um, and step back from that. 
now at 31 years old, when I look at that process and I look at how important linguistics is and your language that you use for yourself um, internally and externally and how important that is to manifest um, the, 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 the visions and the dreams that you have that come to your mind into your reality through um, repeated, consistent processes, right? And, you, you know, the neuro-linguistics the, in, in all of that, what you speak into your um, into your reality or you, what you speak into the world can become your reality if you choose to sp- and have the courage to speak it consistently. So, you know, it was a roundabout way for me to get there. It was an unlikely manner. But at the end of the day, what I want to say to anyone listening is it truly is possible if you believe it to be so. Like there is no reason that I should have ever played in Vancouver, been selected as a fan favorite, have you know, you played all over the world in Africa and playing in BMO Field in Toronto and, you know, meeting and, and hanging with, with pro athletes that I was looking up to with the likes of Steve Nash and, you know, all of these different types of experiences that I got and had access to was definitely attributed to mindset uh, and the ability to irreversibly fixate yourself on a vision, a said mission, and not stop, despite whatever situation, experience, good or bad, may may stand in the way. Man, I love that. You're so on point with so much of that. And not to say that it wasn't your fault, you didn't have control over that. But the late entry athlete doesn't really come around a lot anymore. We're about that early entry. We're about that early sports specialization. We're about that race to the bottom, seven, nine-year-olds playing full-time, specializing, and they're burning out. And so talk to me a little bit of a few things that I caught on that are are pieces of the puzzle that I want to dive into. ADHD. Talk to me a little bit about you as a young person, as a young athlete, as a young student, how did that manifest itself in your life? And, and how did you learn to use it to your advantage? That's a great question. Um, and I, I feel like most people, first thing I want to say is I believe ADHD is a superpower. Yeah. Um, I believe it's a, 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 a bullshit distiller because with ADHD and with an inability to focus consistently, what it allows you to do is to, when you become aware, it allows you to figure out what it is that you're interested in because you go into these moments of vast misunderstanding and inability to focus to extreme hyper-focus and hyper-engagement. So for someone who is not an ADHD sufferer, I'll explain to you what that means. There will be conversations that I can be in where I will be in six different directions in my mind, crafting what I need to get done, talking, you know, who I need to reach out to, formulating all different types of, um, you know, scenarios in my mind, as opposed to if I've got something that I'm working on that I'm passionate and I'm focused on, I can have a task list with a hundred tasks deep. And if I'm in on that vision, that mission, then that task list could be never ending and I could get through it. So for, you know, whether it's a parent on the other end who's got a kid suffering from ADHD and is really struggling to keep the kid engaged, keep moving the kid around until you find something that said that the kid it truly is inspired to pick up on his own, mm-hmm. right? Place things in front of the kid, give them opportunities or her opportunities 
to try it. You will know very quickly if a kid with ADHD is engaged because they will pick it up on their own accord and they will engage with it in their own intrinsic motivation, like from those intrinsic motivational components. That's so right? huge. Huge. And, 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 and it's so important as well for these parents. And, and I coached as well when I finished playing, Martin. So I do know what the helicopter parent is like and how they want to force their own ideals and their own values onto their kids and how much that can create a level of pressure and a level of expectation on the kid and how detrimental that can be to a kid long term. But what I want people to understand is ADHD is a superpower. And ADHD, when understood and used in the right capacity in the right manner, can disproportionately set a kid up for success. So step back and what does that mean? Yeah, what talk to me a little is, bit. Of, break that down for me of like how you were able to leverage that as a superpower. What, what are some of the things you're like caught on? You're like, yes, like realization one. Oh my goodness. Like for instance, movement, but I'll let it to, to you here. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I, speaking through, through experiences is, is, is vastly important. So first time I recognized that I had ADHD was when I, when I kept, you know, sitting in class as a college student, I didn't blast into awareness until I became a college student. And I recognized how I could sit in a lecture for 90 minutes and I could walk out of that lecture and not remember a thing and struggle to really, and it's like, I swear I was listening to the professor. Like, why do I not remember any, like only bits and pieces of this conversation, as opposed to I get to the soccer field and we'd have, we'd have a, a, a skill that we're working on or a phase of play that we're engaged in. And it was like, I only needed to see it once and I could replicate it immediately. And then I could go to a corner after practice or before practice. And I could work on that skill over and over and stay hyper engaged on that. So what that allowed me to do was it allowed me to compartmentalize. Okay. I, if I'm not going to get through school, how can I figure out what interests me in each page or each portion of what I'm trying to learn and how do I build and engage through that? It also helped me understand that I learned through conversations and through communicating with people. So I had to put, set myself up with study groups. So that, you know, learning, learning through community in that way um, was great. But what it also helped me understand was that if I can make task lists of all the things I wanted to learn each week, and then I could just work through the task list when it came to sport, it would be, okay, I want to learn a step over this week. I need to look, I need to do this until I can I need to work on it until I can be able to do it this way. Once it, I know I've got it, that proficient, that level of proficiency, then I can add on to it. And so then it became learning what suits you and your learning skills or your learning tendencies, and then feeding yourself those um, opportunities to engage in that way. And so once I learned that soccer was going to be the way for me, unfortunately, and some parents might be upset about me saying this, unfortunately, it was like school began to take less and less of my time and the energy and focus began to go towards all towards football or soccer. And then from that component, once I bet, once I bought in at that scale, mm -hmm. then everything else opened up for me. It was the, the universe was saying, okay, Wes, if this is what you continually tell me through your actions and, and the way that you speak, then this is the direction that we will, that we will guide you. And from there, um, no, no injury, 
no coach telling me I couldn't do it, no sitting on draft day for the MLS draft in 2009, going undrafted, was able to stand in the way because in my mind, I already had what it took. And it didn't matter if no one believed in me. It was just, I'm going to show them over time. That's that's what it, it, that's what exactly what's going to happen. So outside of the school piece, you learned how to buy in on your own terms at every level. And you were able to define something in a way that made sense to you that you could meet it. And then you were to take full ownership of it and develop sure. it, which is awesome. I mean, that's, right. that's incredible. And so what I, what shows up for me with that is saying that you had a parent that really believed in you and pushed you, you know, at what point in time were you able to take ownership of the soccer journey and then really go with it? And, and at what point in time did your parents pushing you start to fade out? Like, where did you really start to own it? It sounds like there was one point where you started focusing on soccer to begin with. And there was another point where you started to go, I can take this all the way. Yeah, I think there's there's multiple levels, and I think what you're asking me is when did you fall in love with the game? Yeah. Um, and I fell in love with the game. Um, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was 2006. Um, sorry, 2007, summer of 2007. I went down to try try out for the professional development league team that I referenced earlier called the Bradenton Academics. It was like it was known. IMG Academy now is a massive academy in Florida, in Bradenton, Florida, that has American football, boarding school, soccer, tennis, golf. It's like the mecca for the athlete. And I knew all the best players, at least on the Eastern Shore Shoreboard, were going to IMG. And there were like 45 players, let's call it 50, 50 players that were going down to make a squad of 21. Um, and I had no money. My, my grandmother gave me $500 to get myself. Um, she wrote a check for 500 bucks. Um, I packed up, <laughs> I packed up the, my, my car with, you know, a whole back seat full of at least summers enough clothes to get me through the summer. Cause I wasn't going to go down with just a bag and then with any doubt that I might like be coming back in a week and not make it, you know, I was like moving down with all my stuff. So I packed the car to a brim. I drove the 10 and a half, 11 hours to Sarasota. By that time, I'd already used like $150 on gas and food to get down there. Um, so that was, I was left with like 350 bucks um, and a hope and a dream to make this team. And I got out in the first day of tryouts and my head was like blown back with the quality of players that were there. And I was I was a middle, middle of the middle tier player at best at this, um, at at this showcase, and I was a I was a bubble player for sure, and I knew that in my mind. But I had like this athletic ability that was a bit of an outlier, so I've always been gifted at, athletically. So it was like you know how it is as a coach, like he's not he's he's a little rough around the edges now, but like he's got this ceiling mm-hmm. that if we can shave off and 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 we can we can you know, build the skill level, he's got a higher ceiling than someone else. So fortunately, as a bubble player, I made the team. I probably was like number 21, number 20, number 19 on that roster. Uh, And just because I wasn't number one, which I had been used to being um, in my small circles beforehand, I just, it, it, it took me to a whole nother level of drive and perseverance and desire. And, you know, from there, it was like, 
I was, there were abilities to coach um, some of the summer camps. And that got me on the soccer field with some of these players who were doing incredible juggling techniques and just things that I hadn't seen yet. And I was working with these guys every day and I could feel myself getting better. The confidence started to come. And then when I got back after that summer, I saw the difference now back with the team that I, my college team. And I saw all the work I had done over the three months or two and a half months in the summer now coming to fruition with the level of players that I was playing with at home. And then once you get, once you sink your teeth into that, then it's like, I need that again. Mm-hmm. Let me get back to that as soon as possible. Um, and from there it was, how do I keep putting myself in situations where I'm not the best player so I can work my way to, to float to the top of that? That's um, so, so great to hear because there's a lot of stories that are coming through around families or parents or, or even just straight up kids who want to play for the best team because they think by playing for the best team, that's where the best chance is. That's where they're going right. to see. I have to play for the best team. Sure. No. Oftentimes, in fact, I live by this rule. I want to be the least qualified person whenever I enter a room because I have so much to learn in that case. So you speak of all of a sudden wake up call. Now you're, you're getting pulled up by not being the best person in the room and, and how that was a game changer for you. And that's awesome. So I always talk about the appetite of you need to want to, and be hungry for that hard place. You got to be hungry to put yourself in a, in a tough spot, but I want to yeah. go back to something that I, I, I don't see a lot of right now. And I want to discuss it is, when you packed up all your stuff, man, into that car, in that moment, was that the grind? Or was that you believing in yourself and owning it and loving it and, and going down there? Because right now we have this whole grind conversation. I don't ever see the grind coming from you, but it's this narrative of you're kind of like, oh, woe is me. I'm putting in the hours, but this is what I have to do versus I'm owning this. And I love this every second. Can you talk to me about what shows up for you with that? Such a good question, right? And I think there some people are glamorizing the word grind as if, you know, if you're, you know, there's a difference between doing a lot and doing something. Um, and, and when I hear the word grind, I hear the word risk. Um, and I hear the accompanying words of uh, commitment, c- courage, uh, bravery, that, that's what I hear when I hear that. Because um, at the end of the day, here's what I want to say. I believe wholeheartedly in manifestation. I believe wholeheartedly in the law of attraction. And I believe that there is this dance spiritually that you have with your higher self. There's always this like line of connection that you can have with a better version of yourself that's always funneling like ideas to you and always giving you guidance Some people could call that God, Buddha, Allah, whatever you want to call that connection to a higher truth or a higher level of consciousness. That's your specific narrative. For me, I believe there's always ideas that come to you. And from there, it's your choice to decide how does that feel inside? Does it feel good? Do I get excited? Um, And and sometimes I believe people place uh, the word anxiety they misplace the word anxiety for the word excitement. Sometimes they they mistake the excitement that they feel and they call it anxiety. And because there's such a negative connotation on anxiety, they convince themselves that it's not the right thing. Where in actuality, I think 
it's all about feeling, Martin. And so to answer your question, when the idea of Bradenton came up, of going down and testing myself against the best players um, in the United States that I knew of, it was like, how do I get there? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm excited about that. And, I, you know, I've, I've been liked and disliked for confidence uh, my entire life because I believe my father always taught me to believe in myself and that that is going to be the single most important thing that you can bring to the world is a belief in self um, so you can go after what it is that you want. So I think at some time it's going to take a combination of brash confidence and pure self-awareness. Like, do I believe I can do this? And is this actually what I want? And if those two can merge and those two can coalesce and live together, then I believe what you're doing is you're merging passion and core competency or skill set. Like once those two things come together and they live in unison, my man, you become a machine. And you totally are capable of weaving through any sort of test, like testimony or, or, or test to have a testimony, so to speak, right? Like you get beyond any sort of adversity to get to your higher dreams and desires. So for me to answer the question, and I like to, I like to talk about this because this is my sweet spot. It is, it is simply, how does it feel? Does it excite you? If it does, you've got to have courage and bravery and make the decision to go, period. Nailed it. Oh, that's good. And so moving into the second piece uh, of the story here, as a professional athlete, as you started to sink your teeth into the top level, can you talk to me a little bit about how the mental side, about how the self-awareness practice evolve for you because i know it's a big part of your game i, I know that sure. you focus on being present i know that at a certain point in time you, you struggle with some mental illness which i'd love to to talk about and help people through that but like that pro level that top level talk to me about the internal game the inner game that you had there in the journey as a pro athlete so great great questions um at the end of the day to get to that level uh, of any sort of pursuit, uh, there has to be uh, there has to be a, a a disassociation, so to speak, with reality, um, in the sense of everyone else's reality, because it becomes you comes about you and what it is that you're trying to accomplish, um, and and you have to have you have to have such blinders on as to what is going on in an external world to be able to prove and make yourself uh, into uh, or or put yourself into a level of comfort we'll speak and I'll explain what that means as you're just breaking into a pro environment you've got to earn your stripes you got to earn your keep and I heard it um, I heard it correlated or the metaphor of like that process being much like a sprinter and and a use we'll call it Usain Bolt. So when you first get into the pro level, you're like your head's down, you're at the starting line, you're super excited, you're 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 coiled in a position where you're just ready to go. You just need to be told what to do and how to do it. Remember that excitement of being a rookie or like a first time pro? Then then there's like the the shot that that goes off. And that is now you step into your first game and that's you're out of the blocks and, and the, the race has begun. You step into your first match, your first opportunity, and it becomes 
truly real to you. Um, you get to execute on all the things that you've been working on. And from that point, like the sprinter is in what's known as front side. So that's where his head's down. He's driving, he's leaning forward, he's picking up momentum, he's gaining power, right? And that's exactly what you're in. You're head down, focused. How do I improve? How do I earn my spot? How do I get trust within the, my teammates, my coach, my um, upper management, the city? Like you're trying to literally build this rapport with so much more than just yourself. Because at the end of the day, if you don't do that, you're not going to last long, right? By the way, you, you know, you're, you're a commodity and it's a business. And if you don't develop relationships with all of those components, you're not going to last long in that city. Um, so, you know, the, the years of, or the players are like Kobe Bryant who stay an entire career in one place are few and far between now. So with that being said, as you're in this front side position, you're head down doing everything you can to take care of yourself, make sure you're playing because it's, you know, if you don't sign a long year term, you've got, you know, you're looking year to year and that's a scary place to be in. So you have to go into blinders mode until you have enough power, enough momentum, and you've generated enough of, of a trust with all of those things that you then can pick your head up. And from there, you begin, that's when Usain Bolt is his most powerful. That's when he can get, allow that beautiful, expansive form to take shape. And that's where he hits its highest sprinting velocity. And that's much like what it is for an athlete. When you can see them beginning to feel comfortable mm-hmm. in their environment, in their, within their role. Um, and then they can open themselves up to other things, sponsorships, relationships, entrepreneurial ventures on the side, right? And it's not until you do all of the work ahead of time that you can get to that, what is called in track and field is the backside. That's when the back is up, the form is beautiful, and you're racing towards the set, your finish line. And so what that means to me is it's a process. Everything is, right? It's, it's crawling to walking to running to sprinting. And the same thing in that venture is that you've got to drown out all the noise, and focus in on what it is that you really want to create for yourself until you get to a point where you raise your level of competency above that and you're able to now focus on more things because you can subconsciously take care of what you need to take care of to keep yourself at optimal performance. Does that make sense? Oh, man, that's so deep. That's <laughs> I don't so know good. if that makes sense. It's, not, but... it's perfect, and I, and I hope the listeners can really dive into all of the tiny pieces of the stages of that sprinter, seeing them being in the starting blocks, hands on the ground, all four points, the most grounded, the most focused, the most tight, that phase of being ready to pounce, keeping the head down and pouncing and staying focused on your lane and, and keeping things as close as possible. And then as you gain that momentum, then you can start expanding and get a little bit more vertical and start leading the pack. And then that vision, I love that side to side. You can expose yourself to a little bit more stimulus as you get further and further while keeping going with the small, tiny things that you can never stop doing, right? You can never let go of those little things that hold your stuff together. Those are always going, but you get so good at doing it that you no longer waste energy thinking about them and you can expand. Super efficient. That's right. It's so good. So that's, I'm going to use that please, if I can have that blessing, because that is (laughs) so good, because the visual is so important. So as let's just say you hit that top stride, you hit the backside, 
talk to me about the tail end uh, of of the career and i want to transition now into your life after sport because you're an incredible leader you have some great ideas but it wasn't easy man you didn't leave sport all of a sudden you were connected to it like there's some self-discovery in the second journey so can you walk me through the tail end of your athletic career and then transitioning out of that and then let's move into social media university so what i'll do is i'll give people the in the end product right now where i'm at right now and then i'll work my way back there beautiful my mission and my vision right now is to teach entrepreneurs current athletes, former athletes, how to build the tools and the skills in an online space to be able to grow a business or to, to grow uh, a form of sustenance that will give them access to the lifestyle, the independence, the wealth, and the, the, the value-driven life that they desire for themselves. Okay, my, my goal, my mission is to do that to give you the tools and the skills to create that for yourself, whatever that looks like for you. Okay. But let me step back and tell you why I want to fucking do that. <laughs> and that is because I worked tirelessly for 25 years to become a pro athlete. And, um, I became injured and my identity was wrapped inside of all of that is when it becomes being a pro athlete, right? The, the notoriety, the, Articles that are written, the interviews that go up, right? The being on ESPN and having your friends call you and tell you they watched your game and all of those things, you buy into that. If you're not, if you're not guided and you don't have someone who's reverse engineered that process to teach you how to generate the skills to mitigate that. So I bought into it. I bought into the hype, you know, and um, more so than that, I didn't have any skills that had utility outside of the game of, of soccer. So I didn't feel like it was necessary while I was building to take any of the energy that I was using in my front side as I was building up my momentum. I was all in. And most athletes are, right? Despite all the people that want to tell them they should look in different directions, most athletes are like, this is what I want. I've got to be all in and I'll figure it out at the end, Okay. And this is why the internet is beautiful. This is why social media even more so allows, when used correctly, allows you to create more for yourself and to do that at scale in your own specific way, authentically. Okay. So what happened was I had an injury, right? For those of you that are listening who remember Greg Oden, Greg Oden was a basketball, seven foot basketball player for Ohio State was the number one draft pick to the Portland Trailblazers back in like 2008 or so. I think we were about the same age. Um, and in his first season, he had suffered what's called an, a knee injury and had a surgery that's called a microfracture technique, which is essentially what happens when you scrape cartilage in between the joint and your knee is rubbing bone on bone. So what they do is they get in and they aerate the bone surface to create blood flow. And what that blood flow does is it brings – uh, new stem cells to that surface, the damaged surface, and your body is so resilient um, and, and to go towards like environment and how important it is to put yourself in like better situation because you as a human, you're just billions of stem cells, right? And you adapt to your environment just like when your blood comes to an environment, it creates, oh, the environment here is cartilage. So the blood and the stem cells create what's called hyaline cartilage and it 
mimics the environment that it's in, right? This is stem cell research and the importance of that. So like that's how resilient the body is and how important it is for you to put yourself in healthy, positive, flourishing environments, right? Because you are like stem cells are, you're just a bunch of those. It's anything there is everything. So anyways, from that point, identity loss, I lost myself. I didn't know what my mission was. I didn't know what my vision was. I didn't have any skills of utility. Um, I didn't know how to make money. Uh, I didn't want to go back to school because we already talked about how terrible I am in school. And I didn't want to incur any more debt uh, from school loans or take on any more debt because I just didn't feel like that was going to be my ideal way. So I met uh, a little guy called Mental Illness. I didn't have the skills or the tools to figure out that. And it's a long story. And if you guys want to get into that, I've got a podcast called Creating Space. And you can dive into it as I've talked on many occasions about my venture with mental illness. But essentially, I got so far down mental illness that I became suicidal. Um, and I was suicidal for a while. And it wasn't until you hit rock bottom that you really have a choice. It's either I'm out or I'm in. Which one am I in? And you can hear more about the story um, in the podcast. But anyways, I decided that I was going to be in. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to make it, but I knew that I was. And I knew I had to figure it out. So I started to journal. And I really started to ask myself a, a host of questions over time. This wasn't like one journal entry and all of a sudden things started to you know, sort themselves out. I, I went through a lot of darkness, a lot of dark times. I made a lot of poor decisions. I... Um, you know, blew up a lot of friendships and relationships as I was trying to sort out what exactly was going on. I left to go home to fly to Greenville, South Carolina, become a real estate agent because I was touching all these different things, trying to figure out what made me feel good again, made me feel connected. And it wasn't until um, my dad, of all people, gave me an opportunity to speak at his middle school. Um, he's an he's a administrator, now retired, but at the time it was his last couple of years. And I w went and I spoke to these, you know, 200 middle school kids about believing in themselves and uh, manifestation and attracting um, good energy by being good energy. And I talked about all these components. And on that stage, talking about my journey and my experiences, I got a I got a sniff of what it what it felt like again to be. Um, to be connected to something that mattered, that mattered to me. And that was about, that was the beginning of the, the, the inflection point of me coming out of darkness and me starting to figure out where I was headed next. Um, and it was funny, you know, it, it would only be my dad that could pull me, you know, give me that opportunity. It would only be that guy, you know? And so anyways, coming out of that, I wanted to learn how to speak and I wanted to speak more. And I didn't have an agent or anyone that could give me speaking engagements. So I started a podcast and the podcast, the first day started with 11 listeners, the first week, 11 listeners, which are probably my closest family members and friends. And I remember thinking, damn, I don't want like, nah, like I, I see a bunch of people having a great life. You know, the Lewis houses, the Pat Flynn's, you know, I see all these people, Tim Ferriss using this model and succeeding with it. I can do that. Like those guys are no different from me. And, you know, Lewis house for a long time has been a, a great coach and mentor of mine from a distance as I've watched him 
build and create. And so the only way I knew with no budget of my own to get the word out was through social media. So I dove myself into the practice of learning how to use social to build a brand, to tell a story, to connect with influencers, to, um, to, to build a, a following and an engagement and a tribe um, and an audience. And I got real good at that, Martin, because I had to. Like if I wanted this podcast to float, I had to figure out the cadence of social media. And once you learn the cadence of Instagram, you, you, you navigate at the cadence. Once you learn the cadence of Facebook, you work the, the cadence and you just continue to work those plays. And so it got me to a level where all of a sudden I'm having all of the people that I was look, looking up to on my podcast. You know, I'm, I'm chatting with Laird Hamilton thinking this is the best big wave surfer in the history of the planet. And he's on my podcast. Great episode, like, by the way. That, that was yeah, so Lair's, you know? Lair's one of my guys. Like, I look up to that man. He is the man. I'm so stoked to have a conversation with him at some point in time in 2018. Sure. And, and we he's can make boss. that connection, no problem. He, Laird, Brian McKenzie, like all of those guys in that world, um, you know, obviously um, are, are, are just doing phenomenal things for the culture. But what that allowed me to see again is that if I put the effort in here, then I will be rewarded here. Mm-hmm. Same thing as sport. And I started to learn my podcast is, is, is great and I enjoy it. But what I'm actually getting inquires about is, Wes, in pardon my language, how the fuck are you growing your platforms at the rate you're growing them? And so what I was able to then do in – Finding a coach in business in Connor Quinlan, who has absolutely changed my life, um, who's my business partner with Creating Space, he 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 was able to coach me into how to create a business out of what it is that I have learned, right? Because without structure and without creating any sort of uh, purchasable product or service, it's going to be very hard for you to uh, monetize what it is you're doing. So from that standpoint, Creating Space went from just a message and became um, and became much more. Uh, it became a, a platform to help engage, to teach, inspire, encourage, and uplift. And creating space was helping what I learned through all of the thousands of messages that I received, all of the, the, the cards that I've got that are over here in, um, in a little bucket. I probably got 250 handwritten letters from people who have reached out to me about what they enjoyed about the podcast. And what it all came down to is what they enjoyed was the authenticity. And what that did was that modeled for them that they could too find what they were passionate in. And they could too develop the skills to go access a life that they were looking to live. And now it gets me to the point now where I'm hoping to be moving alongside a bunch of people who now know what it is. They've gotten clarity, what it is that they're creating space for, who it is they want to become. And they're now moving in a way to access that um, using the tools and the skills that myself and other influencers like yourself can teach them through their own journeys. So Beautiful. That is the process. But look, listen, guys, that was uh, four years um, in between. You know, that, that's not overnight. So I'm interested in two things. One is some of the top 
learnings, like let's call it one or two virtues that you took from your professional career as an athlete that you were able to essentially pull out of soccer and put into life after sport. So things that flew at a different altitude, call them virtues. And, and two, talk to me about your vision for Social Media University. Ha. So great, 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 great question. Um, okay. Number one, the biggest virtue is the language that you use inside your head. The thoughts that you craft are everything. And let me look at IG. Let me look at Facebook. And for those of you listening in the audio form, if that doesn't scare you a little bit, if that doesn't make you uncomfortable a little bit, let me say it one more time. The thoughts that you craft are the horse to your life. Your life is the carriage, plain and simple. So whatever thoughts you feed will grow, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. And by the way, you are the interpreter of your thoughts. So you decide whether the thoughts you have are good or they are bad. So you're the the thinker and you're the observer at the same time. So what I want you to start to realize and recognize is that you can create the narrative inside your mind. And over time, you can develop, just like you develop your muscles or you develop your intelligence, you can develop the narrative, the story that you tell yourself. And that story in my mind is one of two things. I can or I cannot. Mm -hmm. I will or I will not. And that inherently will become what your life will be. As scary as that may sound or as exhilarating as that may sound. Now step back. Being as though that we all cannot eradicate negativity from our mind as we all have doubts and limiting beliefs. The biggest question is, how long are you going to stay in the negativity when it presents itself? When the fear starts to arise and all of the um, psychological symptoms of fear start to to, uh, present themselves and Janie Jenny Brown did an excellent course on fear last week inside of Audience Builder, talking about all of what happens physiologically inside the brain and recognizing what happens. The question is, when you can begin to recognize fear, when it presents itself, how quickly can you move away from that, put yourself in a new environment, and keep moving forward with the positive reinforcement, right? Um, with that being said, some tools that I use – And these may sound odd, uh, but repetition is the father of learning. Um, I have crafted three different MP3s where I've spoken into this microphone and I have said positive affirmations over and over and over. And I've recorded it into my own audio file and I place it into my iPhone and I listen to it while I'm working. And I have myself, my own voice talking to me alongside of Will Smith, Muhammad Ali, um, Mayweather, Conor McGregor, people who are talking and depicting about their lives and speaking in a manner of of, uh, acquisition. So the things that the tools that I use and the skills, number one, is positive reinforcement and positive linguistics, positive affirmations. Number two is once you have that confidence and that brash self-assuredness, then it becomes resiliency. Mm. Then it's just an effort of, I'm going to keep moving 
And if something gets in my way, I'm going to figure out how to be efficient and effective enough to get back on course. Mm-hmm. Right. That comes over time. But the decision to do all of those things, what does that come back to? That comes back to the affirmation of continuing to think and move forward with your thoughts. Um, and the last thing I'll say uh, of those components, being a team sport athlete, you have to recognize how important other roles and other people's uh, abilities are for long-term success. So with that being said, that segues into what Creating Space Social University is going to do. What my desire to do with this platform is to bring other influential individuals in who have levels of mastery and other components to teach. Could be in nutrition. Doesn't just have to be social media. Could be in wellness. Could be in photography, videography. It's a space for people to come in and teach, to engage, to share, to encourage, to inspire, and to give people access to continual education in a mobile way to where you can engage in these things while you're on the move, right? Not while you're sitting in a traditional classroom setting. It's I can listen to Martin Reeder and hear all of the things he's got to tell me about his life. And, oh, yeah, tomorrow I can learn about Duncan Littlefield and how to generate branded content. And tomorrow, the day after that, I can listen to Janie Brown talk to me about fears. And I can learn how to run an influencer strategy. Oh, tomorrow I want to learn about drop shipping. Cool. I can figure out how to get my logo on swag and get that put out to anyone that follows me and would like to purchase any of my apparel. I want to give people access to info, but more so than that, I want to give people the ability to access a pipeline where growth is happening in a community of other people wanting to grow personally and professionally. Because at the end of the day, we need people, right? We're social humans. We're social uh, animals. We need people. And if we can connect at scale on social media, why not develop a place where we can go and positive things can happen inside the community? So Creating Space University is just a place for growth and expansion for entrepreneurs or growth-minded individuals. That's the goal. Oh, that's humongous. It's the time, man. It's the time. And I'll tell you- It's evolving, man. It's an idea, right? Like- it's evolving. But this is current culture, right? And this is this is where I'm going with off ball athlete is okay, sweet. We got university, we got pro sport, awesome. Then what? Then the real world. Okay. Right. How can we take the intention of that pursuit and, and refocus it? How can we take the integrity that we've built around our pursuit within it and then start to play with a different level of intensity to build the integrity? So putting it back right. onto itself. It's not about sport. Sport is an exercise. It's a vessel to then create self-competency, confidence in yourself, presence of mind. And then you take that and you apply it to something else. And we're at a time right now where people are discovering that, holy smoke, there's different phases of life. So I'm not saying school is not important. School is incredibly important. But when you finish the journey of school, now you got to get something off the ground. Now it's level two. Before it was then you intern, then you get the lowest level job, and then you progress 